You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What is going on, everybody? John Pemba here with Andrew Cooper bringing you another Fantasy Alarm NFL Fantasy Football Podcast here, episode nine. Coop, we are in the thick of it now here. We're, what, five weeks away from the start of the NFL season. We're recording here on Wednesday, Thursday is the Hall of Fame game. So our first taste of some actual football action with the Cowboys versus the Steelers. Best ball season still going on, but now we're definitely taking a look more at redraft and some of the strategies that we can take a look at when it comes to that, some ADPs. We're also getting a ton of training camp news, right? Like every day we're seeing padded practices start up. We're getting the clickbait headlines. We're getting some of the overreactions. So we're going to talk uh, a lot about that on today's episode, as well as breaking down some ADP Twitter polls that I put out today of guys that are uh, closely associated, closely grouped together uh, right now where they're going in drafts. And I think we have some pretty interesting results from those today. But before we dump into it, Coop, how you been, man? I've been doing well, dude. And what's funny about us is that we're from the Boston area, but for the most part, we we don't we hide the accent well. But every time you do the intro, I can always hear something somewhere in there. That I'm just like, there's that, there's that Boston sticking out. This time it was the, uh, I'm here with, I'm here with Andrew Cooper. I was like, there it is, there we are, we're home. So yeah, a lot of training camp, a lot of stuff coming out of New England, especially. I know anytime there's a quarterback controversy situation going on, the the Twitter and the 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 beat reporter action is intensified by tenfold. New England camp this year and last year. Had so much, has so much more action, so many more people covering it, so many more people caring about it than ever, just because it's every day. It's Cam Newton completed this many passes. Mac Jones completed this many. So I, I've been deep into it, not just on Pats, but on everything. So I'm excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, exactly. And let's just jump into it, because I, I think the first thing we should talk about here before we get into the news in itself is how you should handle some of the news that comes out, Coop. Because, again, we're both part of Fantasy Football Twitter. We're here to try to give the best information we can possible to those that follow us, answer questions. But there's a lot of clickbait that goes out there among beat writers, among sites, because right now they're just they're, there's some things to talk about, but there's not a lot to talk about. So any soundbite, any clip, any highlight that they can get gets put on social media, gets shared a thousand times, and then people start you know, formulating opinions off of these 10-second these clips or, or one line in the middle of a long answer response from a coach about a player in a situation. How do you go about weeding through what information you find being useful versus what's just fodder in, you know, in the wind? Yeah, so I mean, in my years of playing this, which you and I have been playing probably about 20 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, easily. So the and i didn't come up with this term but i love it and the term is actionable information right so we're trying to separate what's just some sort of opinion or even just something that flashes versus what's actual actual actionable information for fantasy football so when it comes to that for me anytime it's an opinion unless it is someone i personally have vetted in terms of i've been following a guy evan lazar on a patriots beat writer for a long time i, I trust his opinions so I've, I've vetted him i trust his opinion if it's someone just saying i think this guy looks good in camp i don't trust that if it's a single clip of a guy making one catch i don't trust that i've seen every player that's a wide receiver in the national football league can make a one-handed catch i've seen jerome kim simpson do a front flip over a dude into the end zone in a real game before. And <laughs> yeah. Jerome Simpson was not ever a good fantasy asset. <laughs> right. So forget one singular play. You so know, you're telling me that play. Quintus Cephas catch that was all over my <laughs> timeline the other day. That's not, that's not worthy of reacting to. I'm not even If you click photos on my, on my phone, that's like the fourth picture back in the phone. I mean, that's amazing, but still <laughs> actionable data is going to be, something that it translates to something that you can use in your fantasy leagues. Sometimes if you're in deep leagues as deep as us, that Quintus Cephas catch might be actionable for you in your league. You know what I mean? But for us, we're going to try and tell you things that are moving the needle for us in leagues and where I'm actually actionable just basically means you're going on waivers and you're adding a guy. You're, you're offering a trade for a guy. That's actionable. If a dude, if you're in a 10-man league with 20 roster spots quintus cephas making 20 catches in camp might not even move the needle for you because you're only looking for guys that are high end so that's it for me we're going to try and separate the opinions the the noise from the actual 
things that help you in your fantasy league. Yeah, and, and I agree 100%. It's all about looking through what is out there for headlines and, and really kind of figuring out what matters and what, you know, and what doesn't matter here. And something I think we can start off here with some actual data that, that makes sense. If we're looking at the Rams running back situation, of course, we know Cam Akers now out for the season, and we talked about that on the last uh, podcast that we did. But now if you're looking at the running back room, initially after that injury went down, Daryl Henderson, of course, everybody knew about. But then people really started taking a look at who was after Daryl Henderson, right? It was Xavier Jones. It was, forgetting his first name, but Funk. What's his, James? Is it James Funk? Jake, it's Jake Funk. Jake Funk, right? So Jake Funk, right? They were looking at the running back room, which is something that you like to talk about a lot, is look at the room, how do guys fall into place? But it's turning out, even after some comments about they they want to they're not sure if they want to preserve Daryl Henderson, how they're going to use them. Everything out of camp is basically that Daryl Henderson's getting all of the work he can handle, and there's a large gap between the depth behind him. So we're talking about actionable data now, having a chance to get into training camp and seeing how the Rams plan to use this offense. But Daryl Henderson, I'm still seeing go in round five, round four. Of, of fantasy drafts right now over the last 30 days of ADP. But do you think he deserves to be worth drafting higher? I absolutely do. And not only, so we have two things on that. So the more, the more points that you get, and by points, I mean the more points of focus, the more different angles you're getting on this player, the more I consider it to be actionable. So for instance, you just mentioned how he's getting all the reps. That came from the beat writers. They're saying he's getting 75% of the reps. Hayden Wink said that. A few different people said that, right? On top of that, Sean McVay announced himself that Daryl Henderson wasn't going to play in any of the preseason games, which tells us that he thinks that he's already good enough and ready to play. They've seen what they need to see from him. They want him to be healthy, right? So he gets all these reps where guys are told no tackling low, don't tackle. It's it's basically these drills mostly are wrap and let Keep him healthy. Yeah, keep yeah. him healthy. You know? So, yeah. So now we have two different sides on this of them saying he's the guy we're keeping him healthy through camp we're gonna put him in bubble wrap also he's getting all the first team reps for me that definitely tells me that he's a guy you can count on and i just saw you yesterday um take him in the 14 man fantasy alarm mock draft which is one of the sharpest even though it's just a mock draft it's so so ruthless so sharp everyone's talking trash i saw you take him at the three four swing which in a normal 10 or 12 man league would be the fourth round. And I think that's about right at this point, honestly, because uh, now we're here. I mean, he's, even if he's not Cam Akers, he's the guy in the backfield for one of the best run attacks in the league. And they have a better quarterback now. And I mean, we might have to start talking about him over guys that are in uncertain split backfields might not be getting a lot of catches. Like, I don't know, maybe even some, some of the guys from our poll later on. Yeah, for sure. One of the one of the things I actually talked about with Adam Ronis on Alarm After Hours, if you're looking at ADPs, Mike Davis got a lot of the hype going into the training camp. But now we're, we're in a section where, like, I think the helium on Davis is coming down a little bit and and Henderson is going a little bit after him. And I took Henderson over Davis in, in our mock draft. And again, we're going to have a write-up for that coming out for the uh, Fantasy Alarm Manifold Draft Guide, which you can get right now. We also have a humongous deal. It's You're listening on a Friday, so the deal is already gone. So hopefully you jumped on it while you could. But we have the 60% off going on for the Thursday the Thursday Hall of Fame game. But So we have we have that article coming out, the mock draft recap. But yeah, I'm starting to think, like you said, and we mentioned, I think Henderson starting, should start creeping up. So we'll have to compare, uh, like you mentioned, uh, we have the running back poll. We'll discuss a little bit later and how that planned out, how everybody planned out. We had over 300 votes on that. So got a really good idea uh, of running backs going in that third round. Um, I wouldn't. I, even, know, I just want to add real quick. I, yeah. I wouldn't even just leave it at Mike Davis. I mean, if we're getting to Mike Davis, why not Miles Gaskin too? I mean, like yep. we're, we're now we're talking about the Falcons won four games last year. We're talking about situations where this this Rams offense is that much better. So anytime you get into those guys that you start feeling a little icky about, I, I'm starting to feel really good about Daryl Henderson. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you there. Another guy that I guess he, I initially sort of put into the, the shade category of clickbait, and that was the Elijah Moore catch that was all over Twitter timeline. Zach Wilson stepping up in the pocket, hitting a wide open Elijah Moore 10 yards ahead of the, second, the, the defensive back there. And the Jets fans were... We're all up there and cheering about the great play that they just got Wilson and Moore to make. And I was like, uh, one, I don't really know. And the defense really, in a real game, I don't think would ever allow the receiver to get that open. 
but now you're hearing other news that Moore's being used differently than we initially expected. We thought maybe he would be in the slot. I know you and I talked a lot about that. They have him in two receiver sets, which you've seen. And that means he's now going to be more useful to their offense. Seems like they're committing to them. They use the draft capital on him. I took him recently in a best ball draft and round. Where are you standing now? Do you, you know, do you really have interest in the Jets offense? And is Elijah Moore somebody that would actually be on your board? I mean, like you said, we talked about how that was a knock on him, that he was a slot receiver. Uh, and I actually wrote an entire article on just this topic. If you have access to the draft guide, which you should at this point, I mean, it, I think it's only 20 bucks. It might even still be on discount for, for 15 or so. There's an article in there called Drafting Slot Receivers, which basically tells you, it goes through all the slot receivers that are just pure slot receivers, guys that played at least 85% of their snaps just in the slot. And they are, in fantasy football, they're capped. Their upside is capped. We're talking about Cole Beasley. Last year, even C.D. Lamb, who finished at wide receiver 24, he wasn't amazing. He played 94% of his snaps in the slot, so he came out for a good chunk of snaps. He only played 64% of the overall snaps. That was a concern with Elijah Moore. To me, him playing in two wide receiver sets makes all the difference in the world. It is everything for a slot receiver. It, it means, in my opinion... It means you're a flanker who plays slot in three wide receiver sets, and that changes your upside drastically. So I don't really care about the crowd going wild, about terrible coverage by the Jets cornerbacks. That, that's to be expected. But when you hear that he's he's the guy out there opposite Corey Davis in two wide receiver sets, that's what gets me excited. And on top of that, you have all these people. I saw one beat writer who I personally think is in New York. It's <clears throat> Sorry, in New York, it's very tough because there's so many writers and so many of them are trash and they write for the New York Post or some of these other places and all they're looking for is garbage. But there's one that I do respect that basically that he went into practice today saying, I keep writing about Elijah Moore. I can't, I have to write about other things. And he basically said, I could not keep my eyes off Elijah Moore. This guy's electric. And when I hear that kind of thing on top of him, basically immediately imposing himself as one of the best two wide receivers on the team, I have to move him up. And I was somebody who was low on him, and now I'm not. That's how you have to take a scientific approach to this. Admit when we go into it saying we we know what we know, we don't know certain things. Now we've learned new things that we have to adjust. So Elijah Moore is moving up in my rankings. And I was somebody who wasn't big on it. Somebody that you had talked about heading into the NFL draft and you're doing your player comparisons was Nico Collins. And, and you really went to player profile and you, you paired him up with Kenny Galladay talking about like metrics and physical abilities and where the draft capital could end up being in, in your tweet was if Nico Collins goes in the first three rounds, you're, you're buying all in. If he goes after round four, we know your opinion on fourth round and later wide receivers. Collins gets taken in round three, almost in an exact same spot as the comp that you had for him in Kenny Galladay. We're hearing great reports for, out of Texans camp about Nico Collins. Now, it's Houston Texans. Their whole organization is, is seemingly in flux. Tyrod Taylor seems like the quarterback. Deshaun Watson wasn't even in practice the other day. And then you kind of got in a little bit of a Twitter back and forth. I, I jumped in there briefly with, with some comments. But uh, Nico Collins seems like a guy that you identified early in your draft research process. And he's looking like he could be a, a rookie impact player on Houston this year. Yeah, to me, Nico Collins, like... You, you and I talk about this where in the early rounds, you don't want red flags in the later rounds you do because you want those guys that are sliding in the draft for a reason other than football. And Nico Collins was a dude who basically he, he was kind of lost in the sauce with all these people opting out of the, the final season. Nico Collins didn't basically, if you look up anything about it, he didn't opt out because of COVID. He basically was just like, yeah, I'm opting out, but it's because don't like this program. I don't feel like I fit in. I know I'm going to the NFL and he just didn't play his senior year, which was to a lot of people, that's a negative and it probably lowered his draft stock. But when you look at his profile and the things that he offers in terms of athleticism, it's exciting to me compared to the other options. Like I'd rather draft a guy like this. who's six, four, two fifteen, runs the same 40 time as Kenny Galladay drafted the same age. Kenny Galladay went pick 96 he was pick 89 so similar draft capital like that's exactly what i want rather than a guy that's picked like amir smith marset who's picked to be a slot guy and potentially returns on punts so for me i look at him immediately getting a chance to play opposite brandon 
Brandon Cooks. I don't care how bad the team is. That's how Preston Williams got on the field. The team was bad. So if he gets on the field for, especially for Dynasty, if you're just looking for a guy that you might be able to, to pick and flip for another pick, if you don't like him, grab him for that. If you like it, Kenny, Gall- Kenny Galladay profile, especially if you're in a standard league or a half PPR league, then you know he's right there. And I'm willing to take him best ball leagues. You and me just took him the other day. Probably one of our last few picks. He's he's deep. I think he's like. Yeah, I got him. I think got around. 16, I think, right? Something something so in that deep. range. So available. Available to you whenever you want. Like, those guys, I'm all for that. And we were hearing out of camp. The first day, news came out. A little clip came out. And I was like, whatever. It's a touchdown. He beat a cornerback that was pretty good. But they don't really have cor- that many corners that are that good. The coaching isn't that good. So I wasn't super. I, I kind of put it in my back pocket. The third day that news came out of him scoring a touchdown was when I sent the tweet on it because it's like this guy's scoring every single day. He's playing with the ones, which rookies usually don't, especially third round rookies. So I'm interested. Last round best ball pick. Absolutely for me. Another third round pick and somebody that if you just go to Twitter and type in at Coupe Fiasco plus Josh Palmer, you'll see that Andrew Cooper was on this guy all the way back in April tweeting about him we got tweets in may 13th josh palmer's our generation's terry mclaurin from our guy coop here <laughs> and then we got word out of camp that josh palmer's future is bright and he's running with the ones what do you make of this coup do we do we think that he is going to break out here as a rookie dude people did not like that josh palmer's our generation's terry mclaurin one but i truly believe that that is something that's worth saying because Terry McLaurin was absolutely overlooked. If you go back and look at those rookie drafts, man, people were taking Kelvin Harmon ahead of him. They were taking Hakeem Butler ahead of him. Guys going the fourth, fifth round. What's the name of Calvin Ridley's brother that played for the Bears there? Riley Ridley. Like those guys were all going ahead of Terry McLaurin and he was a third round pick. Josh Palmer's a third round pick. He was picked 32 picks before Amon Ross St. Brown and people are all amped about him. Uh, and I will say that my I actually pulled it up. My earliest tweet for Josh Palmer was, I can't wait to draft whichever weirdo wide receiver. This is April 27th, before the NFL draft. I can't wait to draft whichever weirdo wide receiver people don't like that goes earlier than expected in the second or third round. Give me all the Josh Palmer, Nico Collins, Seth Williams, Tamarian Terry. I don't care. Since then, Tamarian Terry's gone. To, he's, he might go to jail for murder. But <laughs> <laughs> not not funny to laugh about, like right. random to say, which makes you laugh. Seth Williams did also, I believe he either went on draft or he went very late to the Broncos. So he's completely off my radar. But Josh Palmer and Nico Collins both went in the third and now I'm interested. So that's kind of how you got to play this game is that people will this people will get so wrapped up before the draft and what they think to be true until the draft happens. And we find out what the experts of all experts believe to be true. And Josh Palmer's a guy who had uh, 14, he got 14 passes against top cornerbacks in this league. And he caught all four, oh, sorry, top cornerbacks in the draft and caught all 14 of them. We're talking a number of first round picks. We're looking at, great, now I don't have the list in front of me. But basically what happened with Josh Palmer was they were scouting Asante Samuel Jr. And just kept seeing this guy making plays against everybody. Like all these different corners that he was, and they decided Let's take a look at this guy. They took Asante Samuel Jr. in the second, took him in the third, and now he's running with the ones in camp. Jalen Guyton was one of the most useless players, running a ton of routes, not catching a lot of balls. So Josh Palmer's absolutely a guy that, again, in redraft, maybe a last-round pick, but in dynasty, why not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Jalen Guyton was the all-workout team last year, I think, as you put it, uh, running just down-the-field sprint. Uh, and I think Palmer's probably benefiting a little bit from Tyron Johnson being injured uh, as well, going to give him the opportunity to run early there. Again, I feel like you just have a crystal ball, Coop, because, again, if we're if you want to just go back and search all of your early tweets, you you had a tweet there, and it was more of a quote tweet on a coach, but it was about tight end Kyle and Granson over in Indianapolis. Basically, they said they want to use him in, in the Trey Burton role, and then you have Mo Alley-Cox saying that Kyle and Granson looks like Trey Burton, and, and here we are. Now, my question to you is, given on now the situation with the Colts offense, with Carson Wentz now in flux with his foot injury, five to 12 weeks, maybe he's ready for week one, maybe he's ready for week six, like who knows with that type of time frame, the offensive line issues that they have now with some injuries. 
you know, what is your expectations for Granson here as a rookie tight end? Is 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 he somebody at outside of Dynasty that you're looking to roster late in drafts, or is he just a name that's popping up that you want to keep sort of maybe in the back of your head for a late season waiver pickup? Yeah, I mean that that one, the Kylan Granson one's kind of cheating because that was post draft. I didn't, he wasn't on my radar pre draft. And it was the director of pro personnel, Kevin Rogers, that said, we draft him to play the Trey Burton role. And that immediately piqued my interest because I just tweeted out today, actually, I think, or yesterday, the numbers for Kylan, for Trey Burton, Mo Cox, Jack Doyle, and Trey Burton got the best usage. And it was exciting to see this week that Kylan Granson was getting all this hype. Everyone's saying he's the best guy in camp. Somebody posted all the numbers from seven-on-seven drills, and Kylan Granson was the only guy to have three catches. And the only guy to have two catches was T.Y. Hilton. Nobody else had more than one. So obviously he's better than T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> Just kidding. But for me, Kylan Granson is a guy that he falls into that pass-catching role on a team that has other blocking guys. I do like the idea of it, but it seems like a lot of it was tied to Wentz, who loves the tight end. So it does pour a lot of cold water on it from a redraft perspective. From a dynasty perspective, I own him in every possible spot that I can. And considering no one else was drafting him, that's in pretty much every dynasty league I'm in. So he's a guy. He's a guy. Jacob Harris is another guy who's been getting a little bit of hype as a converted wide receiver to tight end. These are the guys you want to look for. Guys you don't want. You got to look at, listen to what people are talking about with the role these guys are playing. When I hear, even if Tommy Tremble goes earlier in the draft, you see that he is literally built exactly the same as Seathan Carter, who is a half tight end, half fullback. They just lost their half tight end, half fullback guy in Chris Manhurts. And they bring this guy in. And then you find out in camp that he's lining up at fullback, just cross him right off the list. You know what I mean? Drop him right to waivers. So it, you gotta, you have to see what, what's going on at camp to know what's, how these guys are being used because you can only hide so much in camp. These guys have to learn how to play the positions they're going to play. Yeah. hundred percent with you on that one. I think the, another big story and, and he, this was maybe the first viral highlight of, of training camp was CD lambs, one-handed sideline grab, which again, I, I'm still not convinced he was even in bounds, but it, it looked good. So let's, let's keep on uh, throwing it out there. But with Amari Cooper, still not a hundred percent. The lamb was somebody, and I guess this compares a little bit more to Elijah Moore. You talk a lot about how lamb last year, when they would go to two wide receivers, he was the one that was coming off the field in those sets uh, where Moore is, is staying on the field, which is why you like that value for him. But this year, we see Lamb going ahead of Cooper already in, in drafts and in both best ball and 80 in a redraft. I was big on, on Lamb last year thinking there was an opportunity for him to be right there with Cooper in terms of production. He was just an elite talent in college. If it, if it wasn't for the injury to Dak, maybe he would have. Maybe he would have ended up being a, a better overall receiver than Cooper. But, you know, what are you seeing from Lamb right now report wise? And what are you believing with this with this Cowboys offense? Does it seem like he is? He's officially ahead of Cooper in your books. Well, I'll keep this one short because I'm usually pretty long-winded, but we just talked about this entire situation for him. For me, he's not ahead of Cooper because Amari Cooper is a bigger player. He's a split end. He outweighs him by probably about 20-something pounds. Amari Cooper's always going to be on the field when he's healthy. As long as Cooper is healthy going into when we're actually doing our redrafts in late August, I'm taking Cooper first. But the important word, the actionable data for me that I have actually seen in multiple places now, the report that CeeDee Lamb, there is a significant gap between him and the other players on the field, which Amari Cooper is not on the field right now. But the fact that Mike, that they're saying he's better than all these other guys, including Michael Gallup. And then you pair that with another report that Michael Gallup is learning the slot and he's playing slot. That tells us that CeeDee Lamb is preparing to play more snaps as flanker, potentially be in those two wide receiver sets. Because you have to remember, last year, they did run a good chunk of two wide receiver sets, which, you know, they even, which is crazy to me because they lost Blake Jarwin and they had Dalton Jones. Now they're going to have Jarwin and Schultz and two pass catching backs, which means you can't possibly just run three wide receivers every down the way the Bengals do, the way the Cardinals do. The Cardinals don't have a, a tight end, really. They have one blocking tight end. So they can afford to do that. Like the this team has two tight ends now. Those guys are going to play. So someone has to come off the field, right? If it's not this year for CeeDee Lamb, because he's mixing and mashing with Gallup, it will be next year when he has that 
Chris Godwin-esque ascension to an every-down guy. Godwin had to wait for Deshaun Jackson to be gone, but then he was an absolute animal. At some point, it's going to happen. I'm just concerned it might not quite be this year, but if it's not this year, it's going to be next year. I'm actually quietly hoping that they decide to just use Gallup as on a ton of snaps, keep Lamb kind of Lamb. I, I kind of want Lamb to disappoint so I can buy him in every league which I don't have him in, which I already have him in the fantasy alarm dynasty league. But I want to buy him in every other dynasty league if there's any sort of dip because I think he does have crazy super elite potential once he's fully unlocked. Yeah, I mean, I think the offense and him himself is 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 ridiculous. From a Patriots news perspective today, and this is only because I've seen some things on Twitter recently about Ramondre Stevenson and the the Patriots backfield, and and everybody is saying that Damian Harris looks fantastic. And then today, Ivan Fears, the Patriots running back coach, when asked about Stevenson, basically said he needs to learn everything. So anybody who's been hyping up Stevenson as somebody who it could be have value this year and, and maybe having that end up being something that is a detriment to Damian Harris for me, I want to point out the fact that Damian Harris had what? Four snaps, eight snaps or something like that. As a rookie, they basically redshirted Harris's rookie season because they felt like he needed to learn some things about the NFL. And then it wasn't until last year that he broke out and looked as good as he did. I think in this offense, knowing that they didn't pick up the fifth year on Sonny Michelle, we don't really even know if Michelle will be with the team come the end of training camp. I think Harris is actually a pretty safe bet to be the the early down runner on this team. And, and while we were you may be aw- afraid of Cam Newton and when it comes to red zone and the red zone work that Newton has uh, running the football and, and touchdown wise, I think Damon Harris is poised for a huge season if he if he ends up breaking out and staying healthy. I'm not really worried about the draft investment on Stevenson in the fourth round or Sony Michelle being there from everything that's been said in camp, even from Belichick talking about the improvements that Harris has made. I think Harris is the guy. Yeah, I mean, Harris is definitely looking like the guy. And not to go off on a side tangent here, but the, the running back coach for the Patriots that said that about Ramondre Stevenson, that he needs to earn everything, what he needs to do everything. I actually have a unique experience in that that running back coach is Ivan Fears. I played high school football with his son, and who ended up being a, a great player at UMass Amherst, Aaron Fears. But uh, Ivan Fears, not once did he show up at camp at our school at any like any of the things at our school to ever say my son needs to do this my son needs to do that I, Aaron just like everyone else worked his that he worked harder than everyone else worked his ass off and earned everything that he did and now if I was Ivan Fears I would have interjected and been like I'm a Patriots coach that my son needs to do this you guys need to do it. he never once did that because and so when you see the pictures of him with the Ramondre even stories and that look on his face and the seriousness there of you need to earn this yourself. I don't doubt that one iota. Like I think they, that that's just the way they, they do things. So he's no one's ever going to be given anything, whether you're a first round pick like Sonny Michelle or a third round pick like Damian Harris. So my concern, my only concern is that it's been a split backfield and James White is still there, but right. I think Damian Harris is going to be the starter, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I've just been seeing a lot of people talk about that backfield lately and, and Stevenson being like a late round sleeper. Like I'm, Again, I'm not convinced he's going to even suit up some of these games. Like They're going to have like Brandon Bolden and James White and, and Damian Harris be the three active backs. Sony Michelle, if he's on the roster, like that, that, that could be how they end up running it out. So just something there. Coop, any other positive news that you want to react to that you've seen? I mean, just one thing that I just want to warn people that, and you're going to see a ton of it, is that there's every single day there's probably going to be highlights from these rookie quarterbacks. Trey Lance, help me out here. Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Trey Lance, <laughs> Justin Fields. You don't have to worry so much about Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson because they're starting. And Mac Jones, of course, they've already told us he's not starting. I mean, they've already told us Trey Lance isn't starting. So just be careful with how high you're reaching for these guys. I do understand the upside. I do understand that they could potentially be league winners given their skill set. Just don't go crazy. I mean, in one of my leagues, I'm not sure if it was a joke or a bet or something, but Trey Lance went in the first round. I'm not even kidding. So just, it was a super flex league, but still. Like, make sure, that's just not where you take them. You don't take them ahead of guys that are known commodities. Just make sure to take it all with the green and salt. If they come out and say, this guy's starting, then feel free to draft him wherever you want. You know what I mean? Just, I've seen too many people get burned by the whole, 
uh, draft the backup quarterback thing. I mean, people were drafting Tua super high, and then Tua got the job and then lost the job. You know what I mean? You never know. Like, some of these guys, Mitch Trubisky was, people forget that he was always supposed to be better than Patrick Mahomes, and very few people said he was, that Patrick Mahomes was better. People were saying Josh Allen was bad. It's like, these things, they never, they don't always pan out like they're supposed to. Dak Prescott was a third-round pick, so you never know. So just be careful with the rookie quarterbacks, because they might not play at all. Yeah, and the last one I want to ask you about here is with Brian Edwards being compared to Terrell Owens. What do you, what do you think? Gruden uh, using a little hyperbole there, or is Brian Edwards going to be a post-hype sleeper? Everybody who banked on him late in their drafts last year, do you think they're in for anything this year? I mean, I, I would never doubt what John Gruden believes. I would doubt whether it's correct or not. But if John <laughs> Gruden is saying it, I believe, I'll tell you what, I believe that John Gruden believes that. How's that? Whether, that works. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea. But I would believe that whatever he says, he's got to at least believe part of it. But I'm interested in Brad Edwards is another guy where he's going to get his shot. Somebody out of that on that team has to be the second target after Waller. So, I mean, why not Why not take the biggest guy that who could play outside? It's a good segue there because not only is Brian Edwards playing the role of Terrell Owens in the Raiders offense, but he's also a team reporter apparently telling uh, the press that Darren Waller is going to be down for others. I've seen reported that Waller is mispracticed for two straight days. We don't really have an exact injury to, to report per se on what's going on with Waller here, but that's obviously pretty significant if for those who are drafting now, the, the lack of clarity is concerning, like down for a bit. Is that the week? Is it weeks? Does he have a, like a severe pull? Like if you're drafting best ball right now, you, you you take Waller off your board with a report like that? Like, what? how are you handling an injury news like that, Coop? Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, so now we're into the negative news, huh? Mm, yeah, well, oh yeah, we're it. just transitioning right into it. That was a nice little segue there. Using Brian Edwards to go, that was, that was very nice. John. Listen, I, I'm a pro at this by now, wow, so like, you know. So we are now in the negative news, and, and for me, I don't like the term down for a bit. Because in the context of what was said, I actually did see this one. Down for a bit in that context was Brian Edwards basically telling everyone that the coaches told him and everyone else, now is your chance to show what you what you have because Waller's going to be down for a bit. So they basically said usually he would soak up targets in practice because he's the man. They don't force targets to anyone in practice during the 7-on-7, 11-on-11 drills. That's game-style stuff. So now is everyone's chance to step up and show that if Waller does go down in real life, you can be that that guy. So I'm I'm definitely interested in what the reports coming out of camp are, especially when Waller's out, who's getting the targets. Like if Brian Edwards is getting five of the catches in seven on sevens and no one else getting more than two, then I'm moving him up. For Waller himself, I'm not making any changes until somebody comes out and says some sort of injury that I know has lasting effects you know what i mean if somebody comes out and says it's a hammy or groin then now i'm monitoring it you know what i mean sometimes what happens is somebody uh gets a bone bruise or they hit their thumb on a helmet or something and they just need a little time and it's not that big a deal so until we know uh waller's definitely awaiting other news that came out this weekend it kind of hurt me a bit because i had started to really have a lot of interest and you and i I believe took him in one of our drafts recently best ball drafts as well was devonta smith going down with an mcl spray now they're not considering it serious but to me what's serious about it is the fact that he's gonna miss preseason games and i want to see him out there getting those snaps playing some semblance of of offense with with the the Eagles and getting used to the game speed and the flow and getting some real defensive coverage against him and all those things. And now he's going to miss two to three weeks, which means he's likely missing all the preseason games, going to be held out a lot of training camp. You're looking at him, expecting him to be the number one receiver on Philadelphia. They don't really have many other options. Jalen Rieger's hurt and got COVID or dealing with COVID or failed his conditioning test, rather, and Goddard failed his condition. All of these things are setting up for Devonta Smith to at least start or potential to start, and now he's down. How are you handling this news again? They're saying only two to three weeks. It's an MCL sprain. It's not the worst thing in the world, but you know, from a reps standpoint, it's not what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, how good did we feel about that pick when we made it? I mean, we talked it out, and it felt great, didn't it? I, I mean, I, again, I still think there's hope for him, but it, this 
definitely steps him back. Week one of training camp, and he is basically out for the next two to three weeks. Again, we're five weeks away from the start of the season. So if he hits the early part of that timeline, then there's still an opportunity for him to work, and they'll have that whole week of, pra- of practice before the game. So I'm not like discounting him. But I just don't want to see that, right? Like, you don't want to see any knee injury. You don't want to see him missing reps. So, yeah, it, it hurts a little bit. I'm hoping maybe it drops him a bit, too, if I'm if I'm still right. taking some some entries, in, you know, in the puppy over an underdog and get some better value on him. He was also a guy that had a 770 receiving yard total prop that I saw over on prize picks that I was happy to hit the over on. And, and now if his knee is not 100%, maybe he's going to play through that. That could be a problem. I think the biggest problem for me is that a lot of people don't realize like the how much of the this chess game is like actual chess moves. So like in all through camp, you're working out with new wide receivers, you're doing new things, right? And you go out there and you have Mills covering Devonta Smith and you run a comeback, right? And Smith just kills him with the fake. The ball's right there. It works, right? Next couple days later in practice, you see uh, them run it man-to-man. You call that play up. It works again. And then in the back of your mind, you're saying, all right, this is a play that works for us, right? And then the game comes around, and you're playing the team the first week, and they're playing zone for a good chunk of the game. And then you realize that they're switching to man in certain situations, and you're on the sideline talking to the OC, and you say, they're going to man here. Let's run that play that Devonta was killing Mills in and we'll we'll get him here for one on third down. Like, I know it's going to work here or they're switching in this situation, just like in practice. When you don't have that in practice, especially with a rookie and you've never built that and you've never come up with these little things that you work in certain situations, then it's, it's not getting called because this, is, this isn't some backyard football game where you just snap the ball and say everyone run around and Devonta's, he gets open or I'll just throw chuck it up to him. Like this is cat and mouse type games here. And you look at, they look at the matchups and say, look, if you get this short guy on you, you, we know we can win him with a fade here. If we know that Miles Sanders can beat this linebacker on a wheel route because he beats our linebacker on a real wheel route, and we know that our linebacker is actually faster than theirs because we have 40 times. Like This is the kind of stuff that goes into these these little intricate things, and when you lose that as a rookie, it's it honestly is humongous because now you don't have these little tricks, these little plays. Like Think about uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. They've done they have so many bags of tricks where they can get you with one of these little moves that they know that they can do and you don't know when it's coming. Like without developing that, it definitely hurts. And that's the real concern for me. Like I know that his, his, his knee is going to heal up. If as long as they give him enough time, he'll heal up and play. But will he have that rapport with the, uh, with the quarterback? That's the problem for me. Yeah, I agree with you there. So that's some of the bad news here, Coop. Let's get into the Twitter polls from today that we're going to talk about. I, I put four out there, quarterbacks, running back, wide receiver, tight end that are close in ADP. I want to get your take on how the poll went and, and what you felt was best, who you would have taken in these scenarios. So at the quarterback position, we have Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts, Ryan Tannehill, and Joe Burrow. A Stafford, an ADP of 87.7. Hurts, 91.3. Tannehill, 93. And Burrow, 97.7. So again, we're looking at guys going around seven, eight in terms of round. Ryan Tanna won this pretty overwhelmingly, 34.4% of the vote. Stafford was second, Burrow was third, Hertz was fourth. What's your, how would have you voted in this poll? Well, I mean, you and me have been playing together for a while now. Who do you think? I, I think you were going probably Stafford if you were going to go in this in this poll here. That's exactly who I would take, and that's who I voted for. I love the situation that he's in. He's a veteran. He's got the best weapons he's had in a long time. He's got the best coach. He's got the best lines, the best offense. Everything for Stafford is better. And he's at this age. I mean, we just saw Tom Brady go to a brand new team and win the Super Bowl. I mean, these guys that play on this level, they can figure it out. I mean, like Philip Rivers at his age, who didn't still have it, played pretty well. So I think Stafford's in a position to kill it, especially in a six-point passing league. Stafford's a beast there. And just to round it out, I, I don't I, I think I would have Joe Burrow last. Just all the things I've been hearing about the knee not being quite right or his mentality not being quite right. The team being still projected to lose a lot of games. I think they were only like six game six game win projection. So not loving that. Hurts and Tannehill, those are guys that I'm not really pushing for either. I'll take if it gets to that point, 
I'll I'll take whoever's there in especially in a four point passing one. I like Hertz in Dynasty just because like the rushing upside is insane. He ran a ton last year, was on pace to have a Lamar Jackson style running season. So I'm definitely interested there for Hertz. But again, what do you what do you think the appeal is for Tannehill with everybody here? Is it, obviously recent production has a lot to do with it. I think there's going to be some obvious running prog- uh, regression with him. He's not going to rush for seven touchdowns or whatever it was again. But adding Julio, going along with AJ Brown, do you think that's what's pushing everybody to go to Tannehill here? Yeah, I think that it's just a a certainty thing. You know what I mean? Like when people look at that that group of quarterbacks, I think they just think of the floor is so good for a guy that people always think that when you have it and you you touched on it with the rushing regression is that people think of where you were last year and if the team gets better then you just get better. And that's not always how it works. Sometimes with quarterbacks as we talked about I think a couple of episodes ago with Peyton Manning and Patrick Mahomes Sometimes when the team gets better, the quarterback stats get worse because they have to do less. The, both quarterbacks had 50, not talking about Manning's 55 touchdown season with the Colts. I'm talking about the one, sorry, with the Broncos. I'm talking about the one he had with the Colts a while ago. I think it was 48. The team won 12 games, 12 and four. The following year, the team got better in 14 and two, and his stats are worse because they didn't need to throw as much. Same as I think what happened with Mahomes. Same numbers. It was 50 touchdowns, 12 and four. Team got better when 14 games and the numbers, passing numbers weren't as good. So, I mean, that it's a weird game we play. And sometimes with when the team is just better, the quarterback doesn't need to do as much. So, I mean, with Tannehill, he's just a safe play. But I don't think he's ever the kind of guy that's going to throw 50 touchdown passes. He just, he's just not that kind of passer. We've seen Matt, Matt Stafford has the record for most pass attempts in a season. He has monster touchdown numbers in the past. Probably should have been MVP that year, but Aaron Rodgers was just completely ridiculous. So I'm in on Stafford. It's just it, For me, that's an easy pick. Yep, I like Stafford too, especially with Akers going down. Make, maybe focuses them to throw the football a little bit more. Running back, I think this one's going to be interesting. I put this poll out. J.K. Dobbins, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Chris Carson, currently third round ADPs over the last 30 days. You commented on this poll. Co- Coop said you're just going to wait out and see whoever's left. You'd probably take Chris Carson if you had to pick. I said I had a favorite on this list that we teased for this. J.K. Dobbins won the poll. 36% went with Dobbins. Chris Carson was second, 28%. David Montgomery, 23% was third. And Miles Sanders last, 12.6. And Coop, I have to tell you that Miles Sanders is the guy that I like here. I, I For me, the upside with Miles Sanders, and I understand people are worried about the offense with Jalen Hurts there. And it's a very small sample size. And we always say, don't always look at sample size of how guys are going to be used in an offense. But with Jalen Hurts, they like to run the RPO. And Miles Sanders in the three games in which Jalen Hurts started last year, if you extrapolate over 16 games, which is an unfair way to measure somebody's production, I understand that. He was looking at 1,300 yards rushing, about 1,500 plus yards total in terms of receiving and rushing. He had three touchdowns in those three games in which Jalen Hurts was quarterback. He averaged 78 yards rushing on the ground. He averaged over 100 total yards per game during that stretch. I He's a guy that averages five yards per carry for his career. He's just been in a system that hasn't allowed him to flourish because they've liked to use a committee. He's been hurt at times as well, which kind of limited his upside a little bit. But we have a new coach. There's still a lot of running backs there, but none of them are that exciting. Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, Howard's still there, Carryon Johnson. I like Miles Sanders for an explosion. It's the upside that I feel like he could bring in this offense. So he was dead last. I like Miles Sanders. You said you like Carson. You and I both like Carson. We've talked about it. We think he's kind of going undervalued as well for a guy that had back-to-back 1,000-yard, 1,100, 1,200-yard seasons before his injury last year. I know that you're not a huge fan of Dobbins, though. So seeing him win this poll, what do you, what's your what's your take on him? What's funny about that is I actually voted for Miles Sanders. And then afterwards, I commented and said I would pick Chris Carson. So I'm looking at the poll right now, and there's a check mark circled next to Miles Sanders <laughs> on my screen. <laughs> because I do like Miles Sanders. I know why people are scared. They're scared because he had a 22% drop rate. He was supposed to be the pass catching back. Big regression in pass catching. And then they drafted Kenneth Gainwell. But is that, really, is that drop rate his fault? Though, I mean, like... One was real bad. There was one real bad one in the end zone. But you're right. I mean, it's not... It's hard to pin it on a guy unless you go through and watch every single one. and Because you uh, went over this with, with Evan Ingram a bunch of times, breaking down film. You're like, this isn't his fault for a drop. This isn't his fault for a drop. You know, I, did that with Zeke. I did that with Zeke's fumbles, too. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah. I only watch film if somebody pisses me off enough on Twitter. <laughs> then, then I will grind film. 
just right. to just to shut him up. But yeah, I, I don't like J.K. Dobbins in, in best ball. I do because he's so fast and he can explode for a touchdown at any moment. But that team uses more substitution than any other team. They just made uh, Gus Edwards like a top. He's a top, he's in the top half of running backs. He's RB fifteen, I think, or sixteen in terms of money per year. So I mean, Gus Edwards is two hundred thirty eight pounds. Like he's right. gonna be the goal line guy, and if it's not, it's gonna be Lamar Jackson. So I mean, like Dobbins, I don't love David Montgomery. I'm warming. This is why this was the toughest poll of all of all the ones you posted because David Montgomery, I'm warming up on because Tariq Cohen apparently is not ready to rock and roll. And Chris Carson, I never really liked because of fumbles, but fumbles only matter if they bench you. And Pete Carroll is such a player's coach that he doesn't bench him, where I guess he did one time and Penny had a big play then got hurt. So they didn't pick up the fifth-year option on Penny, which is something that we talk about in favor of Damian Harris. Like all these guys, that's why my answer truly, if all four of them are on the board, if I'm in the back end of a draft, I just take a wide receiver and I take whoever's left because I think that it's there's enough uncertainty there that you don't if you can avoid being the one that makes that decision, then I think you're better off just collecting value elsewhere and taking the whoever's left because they're so close to me. Yeah, no, and I agree. That was a good poll. If we want to talk the closest poll though, it was the wide receiver one, Coop. We had 382 votes. On this wide receiver poll, these are these are receivers that are going in rounds four, five, around that split here. Cooper Cup, Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockett, Adam Thielen. Now, Adam Thielen won this poll at 29.3%. Tyler Lockett, Deontay Johnson, Cooper Cup all got 23% of the vote. This is by far the closest poll of all of them. You wrote a whole article on why you like Adam Thielen. You commented on this poll saying it should be Adam Thielen and move on. I voted for Deontay Johnson. <laughs> if I could vote on my own poll, I would have gone with Deontay Johnson here. But I think it's wild just how close this all came out to be. Yeah, I mean, this one, I will say that I did cheat a little bit on the on the other ones. I I may have commented or liked it or voted. On this one, I did a quote tweet, and I said, feeling easy, move along. And I did see that my tweet got a couple engagements at least. So I think I may have, I mean, I don't know, but... Most of the people that follow us are fantasy alarm people anyway, and they've seen the tweets. They've they've listened to the podcast. They know that Thielen played 96% of the snaps, that he had a 100% route participation, that they didn't bring anybody else in. He's a lock for targets. Him and Kirk Cousins are currently building a unvaccinated COVID super PAC bond <laughs> together. So he's already had COVID, so he, he might not get as easily. So, I mean, I think that... For me, I like Thielen. I like Lockett specifically for those reasons of super highly consolidated snap shares. In Cooper Cup, I only like him in PPO. He's a terrible best ball pick, to be honest, because I ran through that in my best ball article where he's so consistent that he's great for redraft, but in best ball, he never puts up those big numbers. So a lot of those games where you start him and you're like, oh, nice, I got nine, 10 points from Cooper Cup. In best ball, that's not even cracking your lineup because you're only looking for those super high-end weeks. He probably only cracked your lineup. I'm sure he did in weeks that you didn't do well. But, you know, you're looking for upside in best ball. And Cooper Cup just really, with the routes he runs, the things he does, he doesn't really offer that. Deontay Johnson, he has the highest upside of all of them. Both of us know that. You know what I mean? He's the, He's got the young. He's got the athleticism. He's flashed. Drops were an issue, but they're only an issue if you get benched, like we talked about. And he definitely has the highest upside. But He was, like, all... sixth in total targets last year, and that's while missing a game, leaving, like, three of those games with injuries. Like, And, yeah, he had that one game where he got benched due to drops. 144 targets last year. He, he's, again, he's a guy that they, they throw intermediate routes to him. He's not someone that then needs to wait forever to get open, and that offensive line's going to have been thrown quick. So I was, I was in on Deontay. I had Thielen second, Lockett. Uh, was my third and cup was my fourth there as well so and, and we'll finish this off with the tight end you are the tight end whisperer i know you i know you hate these <laughs> your comment was none of the above you have article three dropping now we're re you're listening to this on a friday so should be out already for now the fades article uh, for your uh draft guide ultimate tight end draft guide here we're looking at Noah Fant, Logan Thomas, Tyler Higby, Robert Tunyon. These guys, again, are going in rounds like eight or nine of your 12-team drafts. Fant and Logan Thomas tied 211 votes. They both had 28.4%. Tyler Higby, 
Tyler Higby, 20.4, and Robert Tunyon at 22.7%. Coop, why none of the above for you? I mean, honestly, all these guys could be in my fades article. I honestly, I'm, I'm still, it's pretty much already written. It's already done. I'm deciding whether I want Logan Thomas in or not, because none of these guys are a top, in my opinion, the only one that has a chance to be a top two target of his team is Robert Tunyon, who is not athletic. He's He wasn't the top two target of his team last year. He was entirely touchdown dependent. I couldn't say enough bad things about Robert Tunyon, but I actually like Tyler Higby less than that, that he just blocks on 20% of his past snaps, which translates to over 100 plays a year where he's not running a route. He has, he's not athletic. Again, I, I'm going to be writing all about these guys on Friday, so I don't want to put too much out there. For me, you need to have the upside of being a top target on your team. And I look at it and say, I think that Logan Thomas has a better chance to get the same amount of targets or more as Curtis Samuel. I don't think he gets more than Terry McLaurin, but there's a possibility with Curtis Samuel. With Noah Fant, I squarely have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy getting more targets than him. And the quality of those targets is bad. It doesn't matter who it's coming from. Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, like they're low quality targets. I'm just, I'm not interested in low upside tight ends. The difference between the tight end 10 and the tight end 16 and half PPR was 10 points last year. The difference between the tight end 10 and the tight end 20 was 25 points. 25 points is literally nothing in fantasy football. That's just over a point a game. Like really 16 weeks of fantasy football it's it's meaningless to me. I don't want tight ends that are finishing the back end of tight end. I mean, like, look at Hayden Hurts. He was, like, tight end 9 or 10. And in week 11, he had zero catches. In week 12, he had four. In week 13, he had one. In week 14, he had one. How could you possibly start that guy after two catches in three out of four weeks, but people turn around and say, oh, he's the tight end 9? Like, dude, he wasn't starting for any of your fantasy teams. Stop pretending like that was ever happening. And that's and that was with Julio getting hurt. Like, these guys, I mean, we've watched Noah Fant finish as tight end, like, 16 when it's just him and Cortland Sutton. We watched him finish as tight end, like, 12 when it's just him and Jerry Judy. Why would he be better when it's him, Judy, and Sutton, and Javante Williams, and Melvin Gordon? Like, I, I just don't get what people are predicting to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I knew, I knew this was going to be a, a group of tight ends you weren't really big fans of based Disgusting. off comments that we've had. But I wanted to see where the group think was, and we got it. People are going with Fant, and people are going, and of course, I forgot, they went with Fant, and they went with Logan Thomas there. Thomas getting paid a big contract the other day. Coop, any final thoughts as we wrap this one up? Yeah. I do have a couple last ones. I had some negative ones. I just want to throw out there real quick. Sure. Apparently, Chris Herndon does not cannot learn the playbook. So that's actionable for me. He was already a guy that had super low upside. Just stay away from that. Randall Cobb trade kind of crushes Tiami Brown. We agree on that. Yep. Randall Cobb is here's an actionable actionable uh, tweet. Riddle Cobb is living inside of Aaron Rodgers' house. Uh, that sounds like the Antonio Brown living in Tom Brady's house type of situation. Yeah, it sounds exactly like that. So, yeah. And then the other one was Kenny Galladay. Is, he wasn't flashing, and then now he's hurt with a hamstring. So you got to fade him a little bit. He was already questionable. Got to fade him a little. So that's where I'm at. Those are the ones I wanted to get out there. I guess the other one, Curtis Samuel, groin issue, something to monitor. These guys, if they're healthy, 100% playing, draft them as you normally would. As we get closer to the season – you have to factor in these soft tissue injuries because they do come back and they do make these guys miss games to start the season and you can't afford to lose any games. Yeah, like Will Fuller, who's also already hurt. Um, <laughs> oh my God, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's He's been held out of camp dealing with some issues. He's also going to be suspended for game one anyways. Shout out Jalen Waddle, who I'm slowly beginning to like myself. But that, that wraps up. Uh, this week's episode here. Obviously, you know where to get us on Twitter. We're always out there at Kube Fiasco for Coop, at Champ 777 for myself. For now, guys, we will catch you all later.